Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And at the time of us releasing this episode, both SAG-AFTRA and the WGA are on strike together for the first time since 1960. And we here at the Empowered Artist Collective are in full solidarity with both of these unions and for what they are fighting for, changes must be made. And there is power when we stand together. With that said, this episode covers things that you cannot necessarily put into practice at this current time in the industry, but its content is still incredibly helpful and relevant as you are creating during this time on your own. So when things hopefully do come to a favorable conclusion, you have all these tools in your back pocket. So in this episode, I talk to Adrian Rose White about pitching and selling TV shows. Adrienne shares her journey, her creative process, and what has worked or not worked for her. She provides insights into crafting effective pitch materials, navigating the dynamics between production companies and networks, and building authentic connections. We talk about the importance of celebrating every step of the process, staying resilient through rejection, and paving one's own path to success in this ever-evolving entertainment industry. Enjoy! Hi, Adrian. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know, just a day at a time here in this little square in the virtual lands. Um, for anybody who's tuning into the YouTube, Adrian's hair is matching gorgeously to this. Is it a portrait? It's a. It's like a line drawing. Yeah, yeah. you could say it's a portrait. Portrait. It's it's just I'm loving the mirror image. It's amazing. Um, for anybody who does not know you, who are you today? Uh, today I am a screenwriter, an actress, a producer. Uh, I'm a teacher. I teach about how to actually sell a TV show organically. And um, I don't know. I'm a dog mom, and yeah. uh, and I'm an Angelino. Uh, just gotten back to the to the West Coast after two weeks on the East Coast, so it's it's good to put my roots back down after a wonderful trip. Oh my goodness! Well, I'm so glad to have you in this space. Um, we've had different episodes in here about you know writing um, and um, pitching. We had Sarah Lampert talking about she wrote and then pitched Ginny and Georgia to Netflix. We had that in an earlier episode. Um, so I'm excited about this idea of like selling <laughs> your stuff and making the monies off of it and not for just a specific project, for doing it um, for many a project and consistently. Um, and so I'm curious how this became something you learned you were good at. Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, probably... Okay, so I mean, this is a this is a space where we get to be very honest and vulnerable. And all the please things. as honest and vulnerable as we possibly can get. That's the only kind of space I love to hold. Okay, yeah. So I think I didn't really figure out that I was good at it until um, I did this. Uh, I did this. I read this book called "We Should All Be Millionaires" by Rachel Rogers, and they have a section where you kind of start to figure out what your zone of genius is. Like, what are things that people come to you for that you like help them out for free? What are things that you do really well? And do you know, I didn't put together that I had optioned or sold five TV shows. Like I had done them each individually, but I didn't really sit down. Like, yeah. Oh, I've done this five times. I'm actually very good at this. Yeah. Um, I think especially because I, I look pretty young and I have a youthful energy. So I think the energy I put out a lot is I'm new, I'm just learning. Uh, and I do think this life is a life where we are always just learning. Like everything is a chance to, sure. to deepen and understand more. Um, but I really had to take a step back. Like after I counted and realized how many times I told my friends, none of them had realized either because I wasn't really talking about my wins mm. along the way. So I would say it was really having that moment of having to take a step back and look at what I'd been doing and, and what I'd accomplished. Um, and while I was in it, I kind of didn't recognize it as much. Okay. Yeah. So then let's double it back to how you had five different projects to sell and then they happened. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. So let's, let's, let's travel back in time. Yeah. Um, so right after college, I wasn't ready to commit to acting. Uh, I had sort of taken a very intellectual path, uh, very academic. And so uh, 
I didn't know what to do. So I went to Korea and I taught AP US history, which I was in no way qualified to teach. Um, wow. Okay. What a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, choice is strong. I The choice was Korea. Once I got there, they were like, you're teaching AP US history because you've taught, you've taken the class before. And I was the only one there who had ever taken that class. Um, and so what I realized in that process was um, what I liked about teaching was there's a performance aspect, there's a writing aspect, there's an audience connection aspect. Like most people don't think of their class as an audience, but in, re in retrospect, I do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sort of figured out how to make the material fun. It was like, for me, it was like doing a comedic monologue every day. And just the material was, you know, I don't know, Lincoln. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a version of comedy. Yeah. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, or just trying to figure out how to make it fun. Um, and after that, I went to, um, I eventually quit that job because I realized uh, as much as I liked the students, I didn't really like the atmosphere. It was very like, um, I don't know, there was, there was just more yelling than I thought was totally necessary. So <laughs> I, I quit that job. I went to India where I studied yoga on an ashram and they had a talent show. So at this uh, talent show, they asked if anyone would volunteer to host, and no one did. And I, being the type A joiner, was like, me, I will host it. Uh, and no one volunteered to perform. So the week leading up to it, everyone else is like chanting and meditating and reading the Bhagavad Gita. And I was like, what are we going to do about this talent show? It's going to be the worst talent show the ashram has ever seen. Uh, so I wrote a monologue called Let Your Hair Down. And when I, I was thought it would go very badly. And I performed that one monologue. And by the end of it, people were up on their feet and cheering. I introduced the one act and I got bum rushed when I left the stage with 20 other people who now wanted to be part of it because it was exciting and, uh, and people were interested. And so I, in that process, because they weren't ready, I started making up monologues and improvising skits and interviewing the performers and interviewing the audience, just anything to kind of keep the energy going in the room. Mm -hmm. And I recognized I was my best, most present self when I was performing and when I was of service to other people. And so that kind of became the um, that kind of became one of the touch points I had for coming back to work is does this involve performing and does this involve being of service to other people? Okay. Um, I also realized shortly after that, I was like, I kind of want a mission statement for my life. And like what if I ever got a tattoo, if I ever got something that I wanted to commit to completely for the rest of my life, what would it say? Um, and I said, I create authentic connections beautifully. So it was about connection. It was about um, authenticity. And so, again, that was the lens through which I was starting to pick up projects. So, OK, from there, I applied to an acting school, the Atlantic Theater Company. I got in and their emphasis was very much on creating your own work, create your own company. Don't wait for the yes. So with that, I wrote a short film called Mira Mira that was a fairy tale about race and disconnection set in the chaos of Carnival in Bahia, Brazil. So mm -hmm. I shot half of it in Brazil. I shot half of it in New York. Um, and then I moved to L.A. because I saw an acting program there. And I felt like I had more, um, more sort of meetings or interest in the six weeks I had been in L.A. than in the six months. I'd been in the, the previous six, I've been in New York for several years, but in the previous six months yeah. of being in New York. Um, so I, I took the leap. I made, I, I was also lucky enough to have booked a commercial that was, this is back when commercials paid really well. Right. Paid really well. So I was like, you know what? I think I can do this. I made the leap. I went to LA. Um, I worked for a boutique production company that made reels for actors. And that was really kind of my grad school of like learning how to quickly write something, produce it. Sometimes I would direct I would oversee post-production and the like. So it was just getting the habit of like generating content fairly quickly of a, of a higher caliber. Yeah. Um, and so from there, um, a friend that I had met auditioning in New York, Ali, the incredible Ali Chan, she moved to LA, moved to LA within a month of me. And we, um, she had me read a script she'd written called Quirky Female Protagonist. And as soon as I read it, I loved it. And I said, I wanted to exec produce and co-star in it. And so we, we, uh, we developed that together. She wrote it. I produced it. 
And uh, it went viral. So that was kind of the big. Was it a web series? It was a web series. It was a mm -hmm. digital web series. Um, we got our, had our first pitch meeting for that because that was back when Fox and everyone was interested in digital series and how to break into that space. So we pitched it to Fox. And that was sort of like, oh, baby's first pitch meeting. They did mm -hmm. not buy it. Um, so we, we, that, you know, was hard to be rejected, but I think it was also a very important part of the process and learning, uh, yeah. kind of what it's like to pitch to executives. Um, and from there we did get into the LA film festival, uh, and that led to, you know, as we went to those events, we met other production companies. We had a general meeting with Lakeshore and that led to eventually optioning our first project with Lakeshore. So that was the first time we were actually getting paid to write. And that really became a launching pad for us because once we sort of understood uh, what the pitch was like, what production companies were looking for, how to approach it, we were able to use that information to create more pitches. Then we sold um, to uh, CBS. We sold a project called How to Be a White Guy, um, which got write-ups and deadline and variety and all the things. And then once you sell one thing and we went through the network development process there, uh, that really made it much easier to even get to get the pitch meetings and to sell the future because it's sort of like, oh, you're a proven entity now. Um, yeah. So people take the meetings. So yeah, that spitball from there. Eventually, Allie and I parted ways um, very lovingly. She's incredible. Uh, we just realized that the Venn diagram of what interested us had been moving apart for a while. So mm -hmm. we wanted to explore our, our own avenues. Um, I sold another show with different partners to CBS. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's been the thing is sort of once realizing what works or how, what about my approach works and then starting to replicate it more and more. Yeah. Thank you for giving that background. I always find it very, very helpful to give context <laughs> before I go in and ask a gazillion questions. So let's dial back to this. And obviously, like the times have changed and the ways in which, um, you know, meetings work and pitching works and all of that has shifted. And I imagine will continue to shift with time and certainly post strikes and all of this. But when you first had your initial meeting, was it with Fox? Is that oh, who it was? With, oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very. I mean, yeah. didn't know what we were doing at all. Correct. Correct. Yeah. How did you initially go about getting said meeting? And what did you come in with as preparation? Obviously, that one didn't go the way you wanted to. But like, I want to take that as the touchstone so that to learn then from what you did to now what you do. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and I'll talk about that one and the Lakeshore one, because we also didn't know Great. what we were doing then. I think they'll both be helpful Great. for sort of seeing that. So with that first pitch meeting at Fox, if I recall correctly, it was through a friend of Allie's. So Allie and I obviously lived in LA and she had someone who knew that, that Fox was looking for more digital series, that they had just opened this sort of like digital series wing of Fox yeah. and that they were looking for content. So she talked to that friend who talked to the person at Fox and the person I was like, oh yeah. So I think they sent like, I think we sent maybe like a couple of the scripts we had written. And these were like two page scripts because they were, again, digital series are very short episodes. So I, I, if I recall correctly, we'd sent like a script and they were like, took the meeting. And then we sent a bunch more scripts in preparation for the meeting or, or something like that. And these were all, it was probably maybe like 16 pages altogether, maybe, okay. maybe six or eight two page scripts, yeah. something like that. And did they tell you to prep a certain thing for your pitch meeting or you were like, cool, I'm going to need to make like a pitch deck and live my life? You know, and I'll be honest, this was a lot that I, I since it was for a digital series, not for a TV show, I haven't thought it's about different. this one as much. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure we came in really just with those scripts and some sort of bullet points about what the show was and ready yeah. to talk about it. I, Got I, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Okay. And, and maybe, a, I think we probably had a budget of what we thought the show would be, which I don't recommend walking in with, but I think we did that. Why um, not for you? Um, because experience? I think that's kind of, that's their job. And right. this is where, um, and this is where I think the Lakeshore example is even more relevant. Well, um, because, okay, so we had a general meeting with Lakeshore. I think we walked in with two other web series that we were pitching and um, and like a loose idea for a television show. 
and you know, it was a fun general. They kind of just got a sense of our voices. And then a month later, they said, hey, we're actually looking for TV content. Do you have anything? Do you want to meet next week? And we're like, sure, we want to meet next week. And we're like, we better develop this idea in a week. <laughs> Did you get this particular meeting again from like another personal connection? So yes, yes. So when we were, when we screened Quirky Female Protagonist at the LA Film Festival, um, RIP LA Film Festival, uh, but so I, this is why I think good film festivals are a great place to connect with production companies and to do it organically. Because on the opening night, we went to the major screening. We yeah. bumped into someone at the party. We started talking. We talked about what our project was. They're like, oh, we'd love to see it. Oh, we think our bosses would be really into it. Here, let me set up a general with our bosses. Because people are there to find the next Correct. talent. And so if you can show up in those spaces with something, it's just, it's just really organic and great. And especially because after we got into the LA Film Festival, we hired um, a baby PR person, like someone who was just breaking into PR and wanted yeah. to make a name for herself. So it was, I'm sure she's extreme, like, and she should be getting paid big bucks. She's very good at her job. Yeah. But so we got, we've met her when she was early in her career and looking to make a name. So we were paying her and she was helped us get into all these press places because there was something to talk about because right. we were in the film festival. So it was sort of a, a momentum thing. And then when we meet someone at the film festival, it's like, hey, look at all this press coverage we've been getting. It just sort yeah. of all feeds. It, it, I think for some people, it, happen, it just happens. I know I like to show up in a way that fosters the outcomes that I want to see. So it was very Correct. deliberate getting a PR person or, and sort of building these things so that there was momentum when we met. And how did you know that that was something that you were going to need or that would be helpful? I don't know. I'm just, just like, I just know it. that the buzz needs to happen. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, you're like, I have great again, intuition. This is, a vulnerable, like, Own it. this is a space where we can be vulnerable. I, yeah. I really value being seen. That's very important to me. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of reasons, I think, uh, I think especially as a, as a woman of color and the ways in which we are not always seen, I think it's always been very important to me to be seen. I've always liked taking center stage. Um, and I like giving center stage too. It's not that I always need to be the focus of yeah. attention, but I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm stepping into owning that, that it is important to me to, to be seen. And I think I, I think on some intuitive level, I thought this is a moment in which it makes sense. We're making something that I think will connect with a lot of people that sort of shows something that hasn't really been seen before or touched before. Yeah. And I want it to be seen. I love that. Yeah. Own it. You should own it. I mean, there's no shoulds or shouldn'ts. I guess I should re like rewind that. We are taught to stay small. <laughs> and so taking up space and owning that, um, in my mind, has nothing to do with ego. It has to do with like owning your worth, which we all have inherently by being people on this planet. But we've been taught to stay small and keep it to ourselves. And it's like if you have something to share and you have something that will arguably make the world a better place, then please share it and take up the space <laughs> is at least where I come from with it. So great. I love that you had that intuition and I love that you're owning it. Um, so you took this meeting with them, which was a different situation than initially with Fox. Yes, it was a different, it was a little bit different because it had, I think with Fox, we were meeting specifically about quirky female protagonists and with Lakeshore, we were, it started as a general meeting, just sort of what do you have in the pipeline? What are right. you working on? And we got to know what they were working on and what they were interested in and that kind of thing. And then when they called us back up, because they knew what we were about and they had an initiative within the company to start doing more television, they said, hey, do you have any TV ideas? We're like, yes, mm -hmm. we sure do. By the time <laughs> this meeting is set, we will. Right. Um, so we, I, I mean, in, in, in a week, we put together a pitch and y'all, it was a long pitch. We put all the all the information you would ever need about any show. We put in the like we we wrote a bible. And this is why with and and the big lesson I took away from that experience was very valuable. So we sort of pitched what we'd written, and they were and then we started playing with it with them in the room. We ended up talking for something like three hours because it was just wow. such a good meeting. Um, and we came out with sort of totally different directives from what we had initially written. And that was one of my first big takeaways is that depending on the stage you're at, you actually don't necessarily need to have all the answers already. You need to have an idea and you need to go in ready to play. Now, by the time you're pitching to a network, yes, please, please have a full pitch deck and all the things. But a production company in particular, they're looking to craft it with you. 
not necessarily for you to have everything already perfectly done, sealed, because then it's sort of a yes or no proposition. Like either they're on board for exactly what you have or they're not. Whereas if you come in and it's more of a conversation, then they feel more invested because they were part of developing it with you. So I think yeah. it's really worth being clear on sort of what the core reason you're writing the show is or why you've created the show and walking in with that. But I now no longer walk into production companies with, you know, a Bible necessarily because- Interesting. So you're saying that with production companies versus networks, these are totally different kinds of pitches. Is what yeah, because you generally, so I, I group it like this, production companies, studios, and networks. And it's sort of the goal is to get to the network because the network is the one who pays you. So right. all of these other parts are things that are, because of their relationships, they can help you get to the network place. So, but the thing is they want to be, if they're getting involved, they want to have their fingerprints on it, right? Like they sure. want it to be a, a Lakeshore production. They want it to be a Lionsgate production. And so if you're pitching it as an already completed, this is done, this is what it is, then there's not really room for collaboration. And I'm not, never say never in Hollywood. Like there, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff happens. But yeah. I have found for my part that actually when I go in with some space for, so, it's the difference between like throwing things at a person versus inviting someone in and doing something sure. together. Um, so yeah. I, I definitely let that inform. And frankly, I think you know, I came, like I said, from a very academic background. So I was like, let me show that I've dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's and show up perfectly. And actually, Allie was, I think, such a powerful partner for me for so long because she really showed up much more vulnerably and saying exactly where she was at the moment. And that really, the number of times I saw that connect with the executives more deeply and that be the reason something moved forward, it made me realize just how much as a medium, I mean, a lot of television, it's about story and about emotion. And so Correct. if you bring both of, if you're bringing only story, there's like a limit to how much connection there can be. And when you bring that vulnerable emotional side, that's when you really get like all the, all the um, cylinders turning. I don't, yeah. mechanics. <laughs> um, when you say that you brought in a Bible, what was in your Bible? I guess why I ask is because this idea of like a pitch deck and arguably we can talk about this differently when we talk about your pitch for networking networks versus like a production company. But like the idea of creating a pitch deck feels very nebulous. And also depending on who you ask, they all have different things to say. So from your experience, what was in this Bible, but arguably also more importantly, like what do you think is a helpful pitch deck or the basics in a pitch deck? Okay. So what was in the Bible? I'm going to take it piece by piece. So what right. was in the Bible that we that we did? We it was a show called Safe Space that was about um, it was about basically brown teachers in Trump America creating a safe space for liberals and weirdos, starting with our high school students. So um, we made it like a like it was a welcome to school, welcome back to school letter. We're like yeah. we let the project inform what the Bible looked like. Um, and, uh, we covered, we covered a lot. We got into sort of the basics of the show. We got into who the characters were. We got into the setting, got into the reasons why we were telling the show, why we were, um, the reasons in the world where we felt like the show would, would find an audience. Um, we got into what episodes would look like, what the characters would deal with, what the season arcs would be, what the series arcs would be. I think we got all the way into like what each season would be about more or less. Wow. I'm trying to remember. I had some sort of deep internal. It was like relevant to some sort of historical phenomenon because I taught AP US history. And I yeah, think you're like Korea thing. has to matter here somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a lot. It was a lot of information. Yeah. Um, and in terms of what's effective... I think the reason there are so many different answers is because there are a million different ways to pitch. And so there are some core things that it's good to consistently have, but I actually don't think pitching works super well as a template. Like a template is a great jumping off point to know what core things to hit. But like I think what, as what, if you had to say like the core would always be. Um, okay. So a core would be something like, you know, start with a log line and then get into like why, 
what inspired, like what from your actual life inspired you to get to this and then lead that into like what the characters are dealing, what are, what's great about the characters and what's not so great about them and what are they struggling with? And then, you know, the couple other main characters that, that have that and then into the setting and, you know, where, where is this all happening? And then, mm-hmm. you know, depending on whether it's episodic or, um, or serialized, you might either go right into the pilot and explain that story, or you might go into, God, I, my, I feel like I should have my notes in front of me. Uh, uh, either you, you could go you right into the story or you could go into um, kind of what episodes would be like and then go into the pilot story, mm-hmm. but kind of just get into more of what the story is and then end it more or less with like why the world needs this right now, why there would be an audience for this. And That's a total, like, if you had to gauge of like how long this would be, would be how many pages? I think if you're thinking about a pitch, I don't even think about it in pages. I think about it in minutes. So maybe you want to keep it under 15 minutes. Ideal is like 10 to 12. Um, Just again, because, and and pitches used to be longer. It used to be fine to do a 20 minute pitch. Uh, I think shorter is better because leave, again, leaving room for questions. I think it is better to spend more time in conversation than on the pitch. So if they've scheduled a half hour for your pitch and you've spent 25 minutes of them telling back, that's not a lot of time to interact. Um, And I think that is generally very valuable. Okay. So Um, if we're dealing with the core stuff that at some point in some capacity you'll want to include in your voice in the way in which it's structured within your, you know, project, besides all of that, what do you actually think is helpful for a pitch? uh, I really think it is... And this is the part where I, I, you know, I come back to don't follow directions. Like directions yeah. are gener- are great for like a general area to go in. But every time something's popped, it's because we came up with something that's not how it's normally done. That's what makes right. something stand out is doing something different with it. So yes. I think people get really fixated on how do I do this right? How is this meant to look when that's not what moves things forward in Hollywood. It's doing things a different way. So I think the biggest thing is find your version of it. Find the thing. Like, okay, so for How to Be a White Guy, we made um, a one sheet, which is like one page where you sum up sort of the the most important top level. I think of it as like a, a written trailer for it. Like it's just the most exciting parts of it that you think will hook someone. Yeah. Uh, and then we made a lookbook where we we thought, okay, this is um, it's about two female entrepreneurs of color, can't get funding for a business. So as their last ditch attempt for at a VC rich venture capital meeting, they get their white bartender to pretend to be their CEO. And then they get the money, but now they're stuck with him as their CEO. So they have to teach him to use his privilege to help them get ahead. They have to teach him how to be a white guy. So we thought, okay, what are the visuals that could go with that? We're like, well, we're in corporate. Let's make a flow chart. So we made oh this flow, ch- this comedic flow chart, and we kept having it where we'd ask a question, be like, you know, we one would be the plot, and the other would be like another answer, and then that would lead to cool. That's not a show. So anytime you chose not the correct answer, yeah. it would take you on this other path that would take you back to cool. That's not a show. Um, and it was really fun. And that, yeah. I know that resonated with people because that's not what lookbooks no, don't normally look like a flow chart with a ton of jokes on it. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say now when you're making a lookbook, make it a flow chart with jokes. Um, <laughs> Certainly it, if it's like a drama and there's like, you're like, don't please don't throw those jokes in there. We're really trying to take this seriously. Yeah. Like know your audience, know your project. Exactly. Know and so create. Exactly. And then make your materials reflect what is most exciting and compelling about your project. So if your project is a, I can't tell you how many times I see people are like writing a comedy, but it's just the, it's just the facts about the story of the comedy or even some of the emotions. I'm like, if it's a comedy, your document better be funny. Yeah. If it's a thriller, your document better have me in suspense about what's going to happen next. Like you need to write it so that it showcases what is the coolest or most exciting or most gripping part of your show needs to be in the pitch materials. Don't just tell me it's funny. Show me that's funny. Don't tell me it's scary. Show me that it's scary me. (laughs) Be freaked out. I love that. I think it's such a wonderful reframe because there is, again, we've been taught or socialized to think that there are like ways to do things 
And we're not doctors who are taught medicine who go and do the medicine. Like this is a creative space. And to be reminded of the fact that the reason you are brought into this room and hopefully your project is going to continue and have legs is because there's something about it that has never been done before. Not because it's trying to be unique, but just because it is. Just because it has, it's a new voice, a new way of looking, a new way of experiencing the world that nobody else has really angled in on yet. And so to rob oneself of the opportunity of, giving that and presenting that. And also, you know, going back to like the fact that like when push comes to shove, we're storytellers and the pitch is also another way to like you did when you were teaching in Korea. It's like that is your stage for the 30, 20 minutes that you have in front of these executives. Like why not enjoy yourself while you're there to actually be engaged with the content that you're presenting in a way that it actually is rather than what you think they want to hear from you, which is arguably not actually the thing anyway. So yes. Co-fi. Strong co-fi. <laughs> Great. So cool. You've created these pitches and they're all catered to like what they are project-wise. When you went in for the network, were you doing the same kind of thing as well or were you making your materials a little bit more catered to larger structures in place? So yeah. So by the time we're pitching to a network, that's when it's very effective to have like the visual pitch deck to go with the pitch. Um, things are sort of a little bit more set. And the nice thing is we've been doing that with the production company. So I would say first we started, we got the production company on board. Um, and sometimes that's a person with an overall, sometimes that's a whole company of people, but generally they're giving feedback. We're developing the pitch with them and sort of filling in all those blank pieces. And then when we pitch to the studio, it's a lot more fleshed out than when we pitch the production company. So that's when the visuals start to come in more. Um, that's when things are a little bit more fi fixed. The company or the, the studio gives their notes as well. So now mm -hmm. at this point, we've had notes from two different people. And by the way, sometimes you're getting opposite notes from sure. a studio and a production company. And it's your job as an artist to decide what, like it, ultimately it's your project and your decision. So I think sometimes there's this feeling like you're not in control, like all of these forces, you're subject to them. And I, I, that was one of the other things I wish I'd realized is that at the, like we are, it is our creative project. All of these notes are valuable and definitely, I'm not saying ignore notes. Like generally mm -hmm. if there's a note, there's usually a reason for it. Sometimes how they want you to fix it is not the solution. But right. that's where it's very helpful to get to the note behind the note and sort of say like, okay, what, what are you, when you tell me you want, when you tell me that we need another love interest, like what are you, is it that there's not enough conflict? Is it that you want more variety? Like what's the thing that's missing that you're proposing this to solve? Yeah. And so sometimes you'll, once you understand, you're like, oh, I could make that work. Sometimes you're like, oh, I see what you're saying. Here's actually another way we could do that. And sometimes just show them that their note does like, dude, take the note and they'll see it doesn't work. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. work here. So let's do this. Exactly. Uh, so there's, but so that way, by the time you're getting to the network, you've got sort of this cohort of people who are all behind the project and sort of have signed off on it and are saying, yeah, we believe in this. We love this. Um, yeah. And so there's sort of this momentum going by the time you take it to the network. And once you've gotten to network, this is, you have the studio backing and you have your production company backing if you are going with a production company. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, is this really more, because in the beginning, as you were talking about with the production company, it's obviously like a collaboration. You're really trying to develop this thing so that when you've gotten to the network, this is the thing. Are you also wanting to stay open as you get to the network or is it really more like yay or nay? Uh, you do definitely want to stay open and they'll probably give notes. Uh, we, yeah. uh, with, um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about specifics with projects, so I, I so I will shy away from that. But sure. I will say, um, you, I, I, I've generally always gotten some kind of note at the network level. So it's not just DNA. It's like, hey, we love this. We're not sure about this. Do you think you can X Y Z? And then we say, yes, we can. They're like, great. Then it's sold. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you someone who simply has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we'll meet virtually together 
You share who you are as a human, what you love, your dislikes, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this. And then I go off on my own and find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I've been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So if you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo right now. I cannot wait to help you find monologues you absolutely adore. When you get to the selling point of the things, what are some, for yourself, what are some terms, this is obviously when you'd like hire a lawyer and you're like, please help me and protect me, but what are some things that you have learned that you're like, I would really always have this to protect myself and my art? Now, I think that is where, I know you already mentioned the lawyer, but I'm just going to say it again. Like that, I, I, Get a lawyer. I, you know, get a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> they, no, I, I mean, that's why I said it. It's just like, clearly, yeah. there's a person who does this for a living, and that's why you hire them, and they do their expertise. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. And that's why it's so great when you have a great lawyer. I go to them and say, what what should I what should I be looking for in this? What are some of the things? What, what do we need to push back on? And like, um, I think residual payments are really important, making sure um, if there's any merchandising in the future to get a percentage of that, that that's really important. Um, I always go for like, put, especially for a first project, you won't always immediately get, um, like if you create it, you should get the executive producer credit, but sometimes that's a conversation, a thing to push. And sometimes it starts as like a co-executive producer credit, but basically always making sure that you have some sort of either executive producing or path to executive producing credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what was really important for me was uh, because especially for the first project, um, they will a lot of times have exclusivity. So they want to say you don't work on any other TV projects while you're working on this TV project because it's they want to make sure that you're focused and not going in 18 different directions when you're not proven yet. Um, and Ali and I wrote that project for ourselves to star in it. So it was really important to us to make sure exclusivity did not mean that we could only write on the project, that it was written in the contract um, that we could also play those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so also the, the network wasn't ready to commit to us playing those roles without a screen test first. So there was a little bit of back and forth and we eventually landed on a specific clause that said that exclusivity did not preclude us from starring in it and that we could essentially have a screen test to see if we were going to be, you know, if we were the right fit for the show. Cause we also decided, you know, what, if we end up only writing on the show, this is a big enough win that like we would still want to move forward with it. Okay. But we also weren't willing to move forward if there was no possibility that we could play the lead. So it was, again, negotiating and figuring that out. And so, yeah, I generally have that, that I have at least the option or the opportunity to to star in it or be attached as an actor. Yeah. Um, How do you, with these rejections that have happened through this time that you've been successful simultaneously, whatever that means in large quotations, how do you allow yourself to grieve the losses or let go of opportunities or embrace the fact that things perhaps didn't go the way you thought, but actually has now, when you look back two years later, really been the thing that led you to where you are now? That's such a great question. And um, for me, the biggest part of it, so I'll kind of start with what I learned from the the whole experience with how to be a white guy. Yeah. So, um, you know, we we got Cedric the Entertainer on board as our exec producer. It sold to the studio. It sold to the network. Um, and then there was a write-up in Deadline and Variety, which was very exciting to sort of have this public-facing, like, declaration. Because that doesn't, that doesn't even usually happen. Like, usually something's not announced until it's um, coming on the air. So it was very cool to have that. Um, and so, but I didn't want to really celebrate until it was actually on the air. So I was like, anything, I'd had experiences with quirky female protagonists, even it it was about to be on, um, 
God, I can't remember the name of the website now, but it's a very cool website at the time. They were like, we're going to show you how to fund other projects. We're going to pay you for this project, like all this stuff. And the day after we had that call, they got bought by Time Warner or something and had a freeze on everything. So I had this experience of the big win and then it just meaning absolutely nothing. So I was like, you know what? Not going to celebrate, not going to be happy until it's on the air. Um, And I think that was really a mistake. Uh, Not a mistake, but a, a learning because... I think if we only wait until the destination to celebrate when the journey is so much of what brings the joy. So I, my experience of it now is to celebrate every step along the way and love it and hold it lightly because then when it, if it doesn't end up happening, it's like, well, I, I enjoyed every part of that and I'm so grateful for it and I'm ready for the next thing. I think embracing every part of it, including like feeling the sadness and feeling the happiness and not trying to not feel that and also feeling the sadness and you know they say an emotion really only lasts however many seconds and it's generally the trying not to feel it that like extends things and like it gets absolutely stuck um so now i'm really in a place of like i notice when i try not to feel things and i really say okay this is what's going on right now let's feel it 100 percent And that has made it much easier to sort of navigate the ups and downs of the entertainment industry and and make it feel more like the the ride that it is. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful way. First of all, thank you for being so vulnerable about it. And also, I think it's such a beautiful way to obviously it's not it's not easy. We're not saying that this is like an easy thing to do when you're in it and it's like awful and it's and it's hard and you're like really upset. And also when it's really great and the high is really high and the next day it's really low. Like I'm not saying any of this is easy to do, but I think it is a really helpful reminder to remember that we have arguably many of us have an idea of what this like end destination is supposed to be. You know, that like you created the thing and it's supposed to be picked up and it's supposed to be running for seven seasons. And we envisioned it running for seven seasons. It's like, okay, well, can we just get to like the first episode first and the pilot gets picked up? Like, we're not even, we, what about season one? Like, we have to dial this back so many steps and we're so quick to jump to the finish line before recognizing that we've created these arbitrary like stakes of what actually matters rather than you've created, period. Like, you've made something that never existed beforehand you've shared that with other people you've you've presented this as a collaboration to bring on more artists to create also I, like i create just like mm-hmm. period you know and so that reminder to oneself of being gentle with yourself <laughs> and uh the volatility of an industry that you have no control over And what do you have control over is the way that you perceive and experience and ride out the the things that you're doing and the process and the journey. I know it's something for myself that I I constantly have to remind myself of, of like, you wrote a page. The page didn't exist before. That's okay. Yeah, you don't have the 10 pages you sat down to write, but you did write the one. And like you could also celebrate and you can also be disappointed and you can feel both those things simultaneously. And then, you know, you can get up and walk your dog and feel better overall, you know? So like not, I I don't mean it as like lowering our standards, like have those dreams, have those goals, have those things that you're striving for, but also remembering that like those are all, it's not arbitrary, but it is. It's like these, these ideas of the things that we have. And it's like, there's so many steps before you even get to that point. I think it, if for me, it follows also the, the getting directions, right? Like the directions are helpful. They will put you in the general direction of where you are trying to go. And so these yeah. arbitrary things, like having them as guideposts is helpful because it's like, oh, I see it. Let me like move towards that. Right. And then also holding that lightly, like saying, okay, I'm here. And actually this isn't where I want to be here. You know, I, I started walking here, but actually I think that over there yeah. is more the thing. And then like, oh, actually, I thought I want to be there. But like, right here is pretty great, too. And I'm going to fully <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. one more piece of information. So making it not the be all end all, but just one piece of the puzzle, and like yeah. appropriately weighting it. Yeah. yeah. How do you stay creatively, I guess, energized is the word I want to say to be in the weeds with many projects simultaneously, right? You're currently developing a lot of projects are you currently pitch i mean not at the moment because everything's shut down but (laughs) eventually is the goal to pitch many projects simultaneously how do you navigate the balance of the many projects for yourself 
Um, I think that's a great question and something I've really struggled with in the past. I think it was really hard to have so many wheels turning and not really able to fully focus yeah. on any one thing. Uh, at the same time, it's great to have many things kind of going because when I took general meetings, if they, you know, I could talk about a few different things and see what resonated and then put more energy in that direction. Um, so I'll take this, I'll answer this question in two ways. So one way in terms of like what keeps the fire going on so many things, for me, creativity keeps coming back to community. I find that when I am, that was another reason that I think my partnership with Ali worked for so long is because we kind of held each other accountable to move forward. And so now I have this community called In the Flow where we have a set weekly time that we always sit down and work on whatever we want to work on, but like there's a set time to do it. And having to show up for a community, that really helps, that keeps that keeps me accountable and consistent in a way that I find I can go in 18 different directions if there isn't sort of like a, a touchstone. And also yeah. making that touchstone fun. Because when it feels like an obligation, then it tends to get, I don't know, like it's it becomes another thing of work it's like it's another thing on your to-do list it's like oh i have to show up to this meeting it's like well no <laughs> you've opted in <laughs> yeah exactly and so i think community helps me find the fun and the play and talk and talking with people i usually try and have games in the community thing or like a like a little round of two truths and a lie or just some mm -hmm. just something to be fun um, so that, that for me is a big part of what keeps the fire going. And, um, and then in terms of structure, this, this summer is going to be my summer of systems because I sort of recognize that in order to have more impact, I really need to have the structures and systems in place that allow for flow and, um, allow me to keep checking in on projects and moving them forward and not, you know, feeling scattered all of the time. So I think that's an ongoing question, but at least for me, it comes to like having pockets of time where I really get to focus on one thing and being very intentional about those pockets. So I don't have to be focusing on everything all everywhere all at once. Yes. And we are not trademarking that name. <laughs> no, it is, it is taken and it was well taken. They did it a really good job with so what beautiful. that already is. Um, when you talk about these generals, going forward, obviously we talked about like the industry continues to shift and, you know, the, taking meetings back then are different than taking meetings now and going forward, certainly in the future. How are you continuously meeting people? How are you continuously getting in these rooms? How are you continuously opening up these rooms? Is it asking of your friends for help? Is it having your community connect you to people that you might not be connected to? Is it cold emailing of people that you have had on your radar that you know are doing of the thing? Yeah. And I think I'm in the lucky position where now I've lived in LA for 10 years. So like, I know a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing right now, right now, going to the picket line, honestly, yeah. like it's a yeah. great way to meet people, aligned people who feel similarly about, I, I always say that in those chaotic times, like you find friends in foxholes. Like when you're in, when you realize you are united on a particular thing, that's when you can really you know, lay the groundwork to ha to work together authentically. So um, in terms of right now, right now, I think going to the picket line and picketing with other writers is a great way to meet people. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I have also found that being, the more I share about what I'm working on, the more I attract people who are aligned. And by that, I don't mean, that doesn't necessarily mean, um, sending out your script right away or anything like that. But even kind of talking in log line sense with people of saying what I'm working, I'm like, oh, I know someone who'd be really into that. Like it just makes this kind of organic way to, to go in. And then there, I also find, especially in LA, I think a lot of people, a lot of powerful people in LA are, are some, or at least somewhat civically minded or have some sort of nonprofit arm or something where they, they have influence, they want to wield it well. And, um, you know, when I get invited to events like that, it's so great because it feels a lot of times like people's masks are down. They're really passionate mm -hmm. about a project or about a cause. And, you know, if I'm passionate about that cause also, it's there. It's just easy to connect about something that's meaningful to both of us and go from yeah. there. So I really, I generally find that finding a cause that's important to me and seeing who else is excited about it that is a great way to authentically connect and make you know real connections that don't feel as like networky or like what can you do yeah. for me kind of thing. Well, because you're a human being and you're yeah. bonding 
value like it when push at least like in a cause situation or also when you're on like a picket line you're like both there because your values are in alignment where you want fair wages and you want to be paid better and you want your art to be held with you know the, the honor and whatever it deserves like all of it, it's i think you're getting at a, a point which is like really seeing the humanity in the person and connecting with them from that particular place so that it it doesn't become a vapid transactional experience um for people who are starting out and have not spent 10 years cultivating the relationships the way that you have what do you recommend for people who are newer in especially for people who are, you know, maybe transitioning from like a theater background and moving more into a writing background, or maybe you are still in theater and you're writing more plays and you're still wanting your work to be produced. I guess just like when you're transitioning or you're newer into this, how do you begin to connect? Um, I think there are a few ways. I always go back to what's authentic to you. Um, so if you're transitioning in the sense that you've just moved to LA, um, I know I mentioned events like, like charity events and for causes that you're excited about. Um, I know I, when I was first starting out, I moved to LA and I worked as a tutor. Uh, that was sort of my day side hustle job. And that was great because, um, you know, I ended up tutoring the kids of a lot of showrunners and that kind of thing. And I learning to show up authentically in those spaces. So not pitching myself as an actor yeah. or a writer, but going in and when they said, how's your day? I was like, oh, it was good. I just had an audition. It was really cool. And then being really, really good at my job, like good at what I was there to do, which was tutor kids. So yeah. they had a chance to see me be really good at something. And then at the same time, I was authentic about what was really important to me. And I also, whenever I started working with a client, I was, you know, uh, you know, um, I don't even think I was as focused on writing then. I was really focused on acting. Um, but I said, I'm an actor. I sometimes get last minute auditions. I have to reschedule. I'll, it sometimes it happens same day. I'll let you know as soon as I know. And then I will be very on top of scheduling another time. I really value. But so it was clear what my values are and who I was from jump mm -hmm. when I was meeting people. And so I think it, one, I, I got customers who understood when I had a last minute audition. Like I didn't generally have a lot of problems with rescheduling because I'd sort of set that as an expectation. Yeah. And then I ended up getting a lot of mentors because again, I was very clear about what I was about. And I wasn't forcing it on them. I wasn't trying to get another job, but I just, it was always part of what I was doing and I wasn't hiding it. Yeah. Um, and so that was, I, I find that like getting to show up good at something with people with whom you would want to work in the future. And then also being honest about who you are in that yeah. space that, that, that I found was very, um, that did a lot for me. That said, I, you know, I've done cold out. Like there's a way you can write cold emails. And, I, you know, I talk about that in my course about how to position yourself in a cold email to reach out. You usually start with like what you really like about their work and you get into what's really special about your work and what you've done in the past and who's already interested and why you think they'd be a great fit and ask if, you know, if they want to see something like that's the, the sort mm -hmm. of quick, short answer for how to write a cold email that is gripping yeah. and it could get someone's interest. So I've done that before. And I'll, you know, in a pinch of, if the other organic stuff isn't working, I'll do that. Or if there's some kind of time crunch, but I do tend to favor the organic because it just, I don't know, it like invites flow in a way that I. And you're also kind of by association, you are getting your like-minded people in your sphere, you know, you're mm -hmm. like, it's just, it's magnetic in that way. Like like-minded people start to find like-minded people and then you start working with each other. Um, I feel like then you create a whole army of people who are all really similar to you and you're all working on your, again, it's value-based where you're coming from the same place of like, oh, we all love this. We all work in this way. We all like to be surrounded by people who do it this way. Like how, how can I connect you to this person who does this thing in this way? Like you're all looking out for each other because you're coming at it from a place that's really similar, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And I will say, I you can definitely do that through email. Like I, I have someone who I'm going to be working with this summer who cold emailed me and we had like a 10 minute call and I just loved the call. And we're like, you know, I think we could collaborate on this thing and now we're going to do it. So I, it, it, I, I'm not poo-pooing cold things at all, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, it, I think it felt organic to her to send that email, if that makes Correct. sense, even though we hadn't met before because she saw my stuff and and, and, and yes, and the like. So I think, um, I think even when you're doing something cold, you want to make it specific and have the reason why you're messaging them so that it feels organic, even if it's fresh and new and yeah. there isn't a previous um, relationship. I love that. As we begin to wind down our time, is there anything about selling 
a TV show specifically that we did not touch on that you feel we would be remiss to not mention? I think it's really important uh, that you should love your show. And I know that sounds, uh, I know that sounds obvious, but I think, um, I think I have, I have seen people who are trying to put together a show because a similar show has popped off and this is the moment where everyone's looking for X. And so they want to write X, but X isn't authentic to them. Yeah. So you want to find the intersection of what's in demand right now and what's authentic to you. Cause you're right. You, if what, if what's authentic to you, if you're writing this and ain't nobody checking for it, yeah, that's, that's rough. That might take 10 years to get done. And, and if you know, you're trying to make a career, that might not be it, but you want to find the intersect. But similarly, if you want just what's hot right now and it's not at all authentic to you, um, I find that that doesn't really move forward and you get, and even if it does, you like hate your life writing it because you're like writing in contention with what you actually think and believe and people can feel that and it doesn't yeah. feel great so i think that the intersection is something you love that other people also want to see i think there's some word for that i, I saw some <laughs> video on instagram that's like but there's a Japanese I, word for this concept um, i love that give, yeah that's like authentic to you and something that people actually would engage with is like well, because we forget that these things take time and that hopefully when you're creating the thing and you're writing the thing, I know you can like write in a week and you have a whole pilot and then you're done. It's just like really wild. Not everybody works that way. But even when you do, you're still, you know, you're going back and you're editing. And hopefully when you're meeting new people and you're collaborating with other people, you're changing and you're adapting and you're putting in notes and you're whatever. This, it's not happening in a week, you know? And so we have to remember that you're going to be sitting with this and in development with this for a long time. And hopefully when and if it does get picked up, you're still going to be in a, in a room where you're blue skying everything with hopefully writer's rooms and like, you know, doing these other things with people. And that's still going to take time before you get to production, before you scout out your locations, before you actually cast the thing, before you put the thing up and then you're actually filming the thing and then you're in editing. And like these things take a really long time. And so if you don't love it in some capacity or find an anchor in it somewhere that is like a part of who you are or in your values or your beliefs or whatever it is, then like, yeah, you are going to want to really be sad with your life for a long time because it's going to get hard. It's going to get hard. And, you know, we've all been in a position where it's like, oh, my God, this is my like, maybe not all of us. Many of us have been in a position where you're like, oh, my God, I wanted this job so badly. And then you're in it and you're like, wait, this is nothing. This is nothing like I thought it was going to be. But there's still a part of the job that you are able to hold on hope or like a part of the character that you're able to find yourself in or there's a part of the story that like relates back to your life that you're able to continuously anchor yourself in that like you come back to but like you need that one thing or it's just like really not worth your time yeah really 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 like truly um i've, I've seen people who are further in their careers uh and kind of get to a place where they're just kind of grabbing onto anything and yeah. um and i i think I think it becomes counterproductive where if you sort of like stick to your vision, you'll eventually find the the path that's right for you as opposed to trying to fit into something else, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, for anybody who wants to work with you, who wants to take your courses, who wants to reach out, who wants to ask or learn more, what within your boundaries are the best ways for people to do so? Okay, so the best way is to go to my website, somethingtrulybrilliant.com, and there's a tab that says work with me or a button. It's a button. <laughs> Click that and it'll see, you'll see a few different options. There's um, in the flow. I mentioned I have this totally free co-working space once a week. You can come. I'll let you know where I am in terms of my writing and selling process. I'll set an intention for the work time and we'll all work on our shit and then check in about it at the end. And it's very rah-rah. It's definitely a thing to, to kind of keep you motivated and keep going. And that's totally free. I also have a free masterclass called how to actually get your TV pitch seen. So that's also on that page too. You can watch that totally for free. And then I have a course called how to actually sell a TV show organically that walks you through step-by-step step how to take your idea, how to put it together as a pitch, how to make sure it's awesome, how to make sure uh, an executive would want to see it. Um, and so that is a, that's a paid course. It's uh, self-timed, so you can take however long you want. You can do it in a week if you want. Uh, it's sort of paced to take about three months. Uh, so you really get to shepherd your idea from just being an idea all the way to something that you could pitch to a production company, studio, or network. 
I love that. And also for everyone who listens to Empowered Artists Collective, uh, I want to give you guys a special deal. So there's going to be a special link just for you guys. You can click that and see what yeah. surprise I have we'll in store that for in you. put that in the show notes. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> thanks for going on this journey with us here in this space. This was so great. Oh my God. You have such a, you've created such an incredible container for incredible conversations. Thank you. uh, What's the word? Because it's not safe. It's exciting. Like it is safe, but it's like that thing where you can go take leaps because there's a great foundation. Thank you. I don't know. Is that like, I mean, it's like risk. Is that like what we're talking about? Yeah. Or like it's the space to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a great space to be vulnerable. I, I appreciate that. that. Incredible. I try. That's what I mean. Again, these are the kinds of conversations that I want to be having. And so I bring on people with whom I hope we have these conversations and you, you know, help satisfy that need and met that itch for myself. So thank you for being here and um, let this be the beginning of more. If you like this episode, please like, rate, follow, and most importantly, review us. This allows us to reach other ears and listeners who want to be engaging in this type of content and these kinds of conversations. I cannot begin to express to you in podcast land how important these reviews are. So please, if you have a second, leave us a positive review. If you did not like this episode and you do not like these episodes, just let it all slide. If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at EmpoweredArtistCollective.com. If you want to be kept in the loop, we have a link in our show notes to get on our mailing list. And if you are looking for some cool and awesome merchandise, we also have a link for you in the show notes as well. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back and we will be back again next week. Until then.